Hi everyone, Jake here. Uh, first of all, just wanted to thank everyone that listened to the first episode of the podcast. Um, it really means a lot to Leonard and I that you guys took time out of your day to listen to us talk about movies. And secondly, I just wanted to let you guys know uh, we had some technical difficulties during this episode. And uh, so there might be some weird background noises and whatnot. Um, but with that being said, we hope you guys enjoy the episode. Have a good day. That kid is back on the escalator again. Yes, ma'am. Sandy is the only person I know who can make yes, ma'am sound like screw you. Yes, ma'am. All I want is a refund. Refund? Refund? Are you crazy? Refund? 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 Hello. This is a demonstration of a talking Spend my days working hard on the go, and the ding to clock ain't ticking too slow. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. Alright. Are we recording now or not? Yes, we're recording. Oh, good. Okay, I've been recording for about 30 seconds now, so it caught That's all good. of me singing. I, I like that we opened with a musical song. Yeah, well, and I did say last time that we would sometimes have musical interludes performed by me. Yes, perfect. And I I'll, I want to talk like a Muppet, so... Okay, perfect. Perfect. Well, all right, well, let's get this, let's get this party started. Yes, it's going to be a party, all right. <laughs> but don't drink too much alcohol, right? European doctor? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just drinking my Coca-Cola spite with rum. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Talking Pictures Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jake. And I'm the other host, Leonard. One might even say you are the other hostess with the mostest, but... Oh god, are you going to make that joke every time? I might. I might not. But, um, how you doing? I'm doing fine. It's, uh, it's dark outside. <laughs> it's it's yeah. blowing me out. Yeah, me too. I um, mean, it's 8.30 now, so, 8 p.m. Yeah, that's true. So it is technically night. Um. Yeah, but it's been dark and gray the entire week. Yeah. No, it's been like that, too. At least we um, have the movies. Yeah, that's that's the only light we have. <laughs> yes. Um, Alright, so today we're going to be talking about the Roger Corman, the first Roger Corman Poe adaptation, House of the Usher, or as it's known sometimes, the House of the Fall of the Usher. No. It's the Fall of the House of Usher. I'm go. sorry, I shouldn't laugh. No, it's okay, because I always get that one mixed up. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, Leonard, what you been watching, pal? Oh, thank you for asking. I uh, Earlier this week on Monday, so we're at the start of the week, I watched uh, Kislovsky. Is that the name mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Christoph uh, Kislovsky. Yeah. What's uh, being called by fans of him his first masterpiece... Uh, hmm. Blind Chance, 1987. Okay. 
I haven't, I should probably note, I haven't watched that many Kislovsky movies uh, mm-hmm. up till now. I've only watched the first episode of the Decalogue mm-hmm. and this. Okay. I, I really liked it. Like, there is something about how he uh, approaches drama that not a lot mm-hmm. of directors do. Like, there is something novelistic about them. Like, there's just these little yeah. details and nuts try to play to conventions that's unlike other kind of screenwriting. Yeah, he seems he also, to play more towards reality than yeah, actual. Yeah, but he's also so good with tone. Like, he can shift mm-hmm. uh, uh, a scene into something completely else and it just feels so natural. Yeah. Uh, w- this movie opens with a man, the lead character, screaming and a bloodied body being uh, pulled away in a hospital. As such, such a striking opening scene, and we and we return to the image later on. Yeah. But I think we sometimes we we talk about Rislavski as a writer and as an uh, as dramaturgist, I guess. A dramaturgist, you mean? A dramaturgist. I I used mm-hmm. the Dutch word, and I thought oh, I'm okay. gonna make it's it okay. English, and then it's gonna be all right. But no, it you're isn't. Fine. But he also has a really good eye. I think people forget that. Yes. Like, Yes, he does. Like he really knows how to film something. And it's not, it's not, uh, it's not Y Like it's not yep. uh, being like the outlandish filmmaker who films scenes like they're shot from a drunk person's perspective. Mm-hmm. But there's something like he knows how to translate emotion that isn't being set into an image, mm-hmm. like putting Absolutely. the details. They all said you can't convey through dialogue mm-hmm. into into frames, I guess. Right. No, definitely. Um, he's one of those uh, filmmakers that I greatly love and admire, and I haven't seen a ton. Well, actually, I've seen quite a bit. I mean, his movies are so dense, like you can watch one and you can think and molder about it for like a week. Like there are like an hour of this last is worth 20 hours of television yeah no that's I'd honestly say a week's worth of television to be honest I mean you can I don't know how long you you do about like 20 hours of television but I can I, I need more than a week to watch those yeah no I know um so Kislowski, do you know what the movie's about no but I was about to say Kislowski is a filmmaker that I love and if i were to make films would be the one that i'd want to learn from the most in the terms yes. of just just craft and uh like you said imagery and because he's just so good like he's yes. just got it down so pat like um i'm really excited for you when you watch the three colors have you seen any of the three colors no, I've only seen the first episode of the Decalogue and this. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I so think I you're really going like, to go. Yeah, blue is um, very uh, sad and uh, somber, I would say. Mm-hmm. White yeah. is my favorite because it's just sort of light and it's kind of ridiculous, but like he yeah. grounds it so much. And it's, you know, it's, and it's not really even like ridiculous as in like satire. It's just kind of like, 
it's it's only in a way that he can do it. Nobody else could. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'm really... No, but what is it about? Because I, I do think I have it on my watch list. Uh, it has a specific structure that has been... I'm, I'm sure it wasn't the first piece mm -hmm. of art that did this, but that it's been copied a lot uh, afterwards. Okay. Where uh, it, there's this guy who's uh, he's studying to become a doctor, but then his father dies. Mm -hmm. And he, he only wanted to become a doctor because his father or asked no, him to, but at his deathbed, yeah. his dad says, just do what you want to do. Yeah. So it, he takes time off from college and then he, yeah. he tries to catch a train and he is almost too late, but he still catches it. And that yeah. starts the first timeline. Okay. In this timeline, he uh, joins the communist party Okay. Like I mean, it's in Poland, so the Communist Party. It's right. No, it's just something weird to think about now. Yeah. So he joins the Communist Party, and like I don't want to go into detail, but things. Yeah, happen. but there's there's different. It sounds like there's different. Um. Timelines. Timelines. Yeah. And I'm, it like flash forwards almost. Yeah. So the so you see that story play out, and then the second timeline starts. He tries to catch a train, he doesn't, he gets, like, uh, a rail guard tries to arrest him for running over some people, not running, running into some people. Oh. And then he, and he fights back, then he gets arrested, and he goes to, like, a prison camp, not, that's really a prison camp, but, like, he goes to jail for, like, 30 days. Gotcha. And there he meets people and he joins uh, the, the resistance. So so the opposite of the communist party yeah. then. Yeah. And that story plays out and then you see the third timeline. He doesn't uh. catch the train. He doesn't get arrested and he goes back to medical school. Hmm. And he decides to live his life as... Uh, Originally planned neutral he doesn't try, oh, okay. doesn't try to pick any sides huh. and i know this uh the main complaint i've seen about this movie is that people think it tries to argue that there is no free will we're just a uh, victim of circumstances but okay. i don't think that's true because this character maintains consistency throughout all three timelines it's still the same person mm -hmm. but i think none of us live in a vacuum like, mm -mm. if you're going to meet other people, then, or you're going to experience different things, your, your, your view on life will change. Yeah. Your choices you make will change. Like, you don't, there's not, I don't think you, uh, you're destined to make certain so choices when you're born and you're going to change, going to stay that way forever. I think mm -hmm. you're, you are in a way formed by the way you live or what you yeah what happens in your life so i think people saying this this tries to argue that there is no free will i think are being a bit uh short-sighted i guess yeah maybe a little bit too simplistic yeah simplistic is a better word um and you know i was talking with a friend yesterday and um He's told me about this friend of his that he knew from college, and uh, 
it just kind of goes into the different paths, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of think about. He says, "Oh man, you know, if you knew so and so, you two would be like best friends." And that, and it makes me kind of sad because you, you know, the idea of what could have been. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's exactly. It, it, you're right. It's incredibly short-sighted to say, "Oh, you know." Um, and that, what was it that they argued that he wouldn't be the same per- person, or what was it again? That there is no free will. That he oh. that you're not that you're a victim of circumstances and not. Oh well, and it's not like. Here's the thing. It's like, it's not like I'm just being like. Yeah, it's. Just like it's, I said, the character maintains the same person throughout these different timelines he makes different choices but you can clearly notice it's it's him like he he stays consistent okay yeah um but you know you get um you know meet this person it's not like i i have the will even though this uh friend that my friend was talking about of his um they don't talk anymore you know what i mean they're, oh, okay. they're not in contact uh it's not like he cut it off you know there was outside mm-hmm. forces and different things that what happened yeah um We're but all you know by our environment and by exactly. circumstances you know and he and i were talking about and you know you think about that you know like it's kind of like <laughs> this is gonna be really dumb but you know the superman story red sun I know it, yeah, I know. know and you know you, what it's about, like, you know, yeah. instead of landing in Smalls, uh, Smallville, yeah, Smallville. Um, he, he lands in, you know, Russia. Moscow, or, yeah. Yeah. So, it, it's it's like what you said, our environment and the way that we live really doesn't inform, forms us, which mm-hmm. is true. It's not, Yeah. but you still have the free will to be like, okay, I don't like where I'm living, I need to get out of here, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Like that's also like throughout all these timelines he tries to catch a plane to Paris. That's something that hmm. also shows up time and time again. It's the constant. Yeah. Hmm. But uh what have you been watching lately? Speaking of the way I feel about Kozlowski is how I'm starting to feel about this director. Um there are certain directors that you can watch their movies and you can barely scratch the surface of what you can learn from it which is how i feel about kislowski but this is how i feel about this filmmaker who directed uh his second film and boy what a second film it is uh andre rubelev from 1966 uh directed by andre tarkovsky and never heard um, of him really never heard of (laughs) tarkovsky he directed the Nutcracker, right? He, he wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, man, uh, I've been going, I've been going chronologically through his filmography, and I had watched Ivan's Childhood, which was good, but like, it's the first movie. It's a first movie, and he had made shorts, but like, it was definitely a first movie. But this is yeah. like. This is like taking a step from, de- stepping down from a stair, 
like a, a stairwell to the moon. Like, I don't know what happened. Movie? Yeah, it's his only. I'm pretty sure it's his second movie. Okay. And like he um, only made seven, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but you know, I, I it's uh, as you were talking about with um, as I was saying about Kozlowski, Tarkovsky's becoming that filmmaker where um, I need to like. I'm just in awe. Like I've never, I haven't been in awe for many movies. But Andrei Rublev, I was just like, I didn't look at my phone much. The only time that I did is because I was getting interrupted. Yeah. And um. I mean, it's, it's a long just, movie too. It's a three-hour movie, yeah. Um, but it's just beautiful. I mean, I joke that it's better than Forrest Gump because, um, I mean that is a pretty low bar, but. Yeah, I was curious about that because I don't really know what uh, Andrei Rublev is about, so I'm curious. It's about... So, Andrei Rublev is a painter. Yeah. And he just seems to... He drifts from place to place. Mm -hmm. In an era of Russia when it was, like, very unstable. And he's just a monk. Okay. Um, And he... It it basically ends up he... um, ends up in the middle of a battle and he's a monk you know mm-hmm. and yeah. very religious and he paints like friscos and churches all right and he's like really renowned for it and um he there's a she's she's the archetype that we would call the holy fool mm-hmm. meaning uh she's a fool but you know you can't really judge her or something like that it's All something right. that I'm not super familiar with until this movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the the soldiers come in and raid this church um, because it's the prince's brother wanting to kill everybody. And, it, you know, like Tarkovsky, it's very, it's very, like, true. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the sense that it's violent, it's dirty, it's grimy, you know, there's fire... There's, uh, you know, people getting stabbed and whatnot, and um, he is trying to take care of this. She's, I think, she's mute. I'm sure. I think, because she doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the soldiers is going to is grabbing her and taking her away, basically to have his way with her. Yeah. And he's he he picks up an axe and just starts bludgeoning the soldier. And he's so Rublev does. yes, yes, and he's so um, moved by what he did and affected that he vows to take a vow of silence. Gotcha. Yeah, and um, that lasts pretty much until the rest of the film. So he's again wandering, but he's now even more removed, so to speak. Yeah, uh, standing outside of society. Yeah, and he's he's an observer, and that's mm. it. He's not talking. He's not oh, so that's saying the anything. Gump connection. Yeah, that's kind of what I went about Forrest Gump. But that's um, interesting. I was kind of just a joke too, but like, I mean, Twitter is a place for joke for jokes, not the place for uh, deep, rotted analysis. <laughs> true, but it, it was kind of true because. Um, Granted, it wasn't like every other American 
event from the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s was in Andrei Rublev that he witnessed, but like... It wasn't um, the boomers, boomers' greatest hits? <laughs> basically. <laughs> and um, he... There's a scene, I won't get too much into it, uh, the new prince wants a bell made for the church. Yeah, I've heard about that moment. People talk about the bell being made in Andrei Rublev like oh. it's the second coming of Christ, which it probably is, I believe. No, I, 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 could, I could get on board with that. Like um, it's like you've seen a sighting of the Maid Maria. Like in, you walk into a forest, you see, I mean, yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, sorry, it's okay. No, uh, it's just, it, I, it, it is. I mean, it's just so thrilling and moving. I mean, God, they're just making a stupid bell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's that, not like, like process is one of the most interesting things to capture. Oh yeah, film. especially and especially for back then. Yeah. to to what they had to do um but i'm just and i'm and i'm watching the movie and the way tarkovsky shoots um i'm just going to say it um i saw a tweet today that people you know say that a movie has beautiful cinematography mhm and but when they actually mean like color design and set design and whatnot like that yeah andre rublev legitimately has beautiful cinematography um, yeah and it's that's the one thing i remember about andre tarkovsky the most it's his movies demand attention like they look mm -hmm. how you imagine a masterpiece looks like oh exactly and he the one thing i think that filmmakers could learn from his films is you don't need your wes anderson symmetrical bullcrap shots yeah and yeah, you don't yep. need to aim for one perfect shot Twitter. You can just make a natural movie. Yeah, and like, but he, it's like we were talking about Kislowski. He shoots in a way that conveys imagery and emotion and feeling and um, just just cinema. God damn it. Yeah. I hate to say that, but it's just it's it's that thing you, that intangible thing in film that you can't quite really call in anything else it's it's cinema it's mm. it's the spark you know it's the prometheus promethean flame jesus christ i'm sounding like a pretentious asshole yeah i feel with kislavsky and Tarkovsky, we're introducing ourselves as the film snap podcast oh well uh, my next choice won't help that but oh well. yeah mine maybe but also not because it's french yeah, mine's American, but it's also still... Um, yeah, I have an idea for what that is, but I wouldn't call that a snob movie, I, if it's what it is, I, what it, I think it is. <laughs> like, snobs wouldn't be able to handle it. That's true. And it's a little bit more commentary than cinema. And also gross, like, you shouldn't forget gross. Yeah. People need... Movies need to be more gross, damn it. Well, and you know, I know... Um, I've heard stories of Tarkovsky and uh, Kurosawa hanging out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, the scene of that battle, because um, there's a lot of scenes that were shot in the rain, like mm -hmm. the pouring, yeah. gross, wintry rain. And um, he, 
definitely was a big fan of Seven Samurai. Yeah. And you can see it in Andre Rublev. Um, I don't bet. know what happened in between Ivan's childhood and Andre Rublev, but thank God, honestly, like Ivan's childhood is really good, but it's not on this level where it's like I need to scoop my jaw off the floor because you know I went into this, went into this being like, okay, I'm gonna cross another blind spot off my list today. Mm-hmm. It's a long yeah. one. I have the time, you know. It's just like holy crap, and I just those are usually I, the best moments to watch a movie. Just like not having that much of an expectation, just thinking like, I guess I have to see this one day. Yeah, why not now? And then just right. being blown away. Yeah, and it's just Tarkovsky. Like I said, Tarkovsky and Kozlowski have this way of making films where it's like you're experiencing it, like the film yeah. itself. But then you're like, okay, but like, I still feel like I've barely touched the surface of what this film is actually about. Yeah, the the words I mostly associate with these movies are impenetrable. Yes. And, um... Uh, it's impenetrable, I guess. Yeah, I think that's right about... Um, I think they're just such from a distant almost feels like they're from a different planet like Tarkovsky yeah, movies do sometimes they seem to be like an, like not an alien but someone like the Watcher in the yeah, Marvel, Marvel things like there we go we grounded ourselves not an, not an alien entity but someone who has observed ev- everything every mm-hmm. time every future and if, yep. and that puts it into a film yeah or no, a that's, movie that's I guess a, do not make us do sound too much like pretentious snaps <laughs> No, you you brought it down by bringing up the Watcher, so. Oh yeah, that's good. We're evening it out. Yeah, um, but yeah, Andre Rublev, man, you know, I'm I'm excited for you to see it. I don't yeah. know if you I, you haven't seen it, right? No, I the only Tarkovsky movies I've seen are the ones that have played in theater here. Like every mm-hmm. summer, in Belgian theaters, they re-release uh, a Tarkovsky movie. So I've seen. Hmm. Uh, Stalker, then Solaris, then The Mirror, and I guess this year it's either Ivan's Childhood or Andrei Rublev. I hope it's Andrei Rublev, because... I hope so too, but I'm gonna take every Tarkovsky movie in theater that I can get. That's just smart. And you know, I I have a bigger TV so I can experience it like that. Yeah. And it's nice, because you know, imagine... Imagine watching Tarkovsky on your phone, god damn it. I did once. Not not really, but like a clip show of Tarkovsky I watched on my phone. Like something like someone I think it was Martin Kessler who made a video of Tarkovsky clips on like classical music. I watched that to go to sleep once. It was Hold very on a second. Soothing. I'm getting I'm getting a phone call. What's okay. that, David? David Oh hey David, how's it going? I'm just doing a podcast with my friend Leonard. Oh, David Lynch. Hey, David Lynch wants to tell you not to watch fucking movies on your cell phone. Tell him to mind his own business. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, I had to do that. Because that's our joke. I was really, almost, I really thought you were called. <laughs> I feel so stupid now. Like, I might be pissing off David Lynch, but please, I'm also pissing off Christopher Nolan. Yeah, that's the better. I would honestly... It's like, 
You have, you have you know, it's like you can piss off one parent. Which one do you want to piss off? Or no, actually, it's more like a parent and a grandparent. You don't want to get your grandparents mad. You get your I, parents mad. You you're pissing off like your girlfriend, but you're also pissing off her best friend you hate. There you go. That's an even better one. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, I could I could go on about Andre Rublev, but in the interest of time, I'm going to end it there and just say, Andre Rublev, what a picture. Damn it, yeah, what a picture. <laughs> All right, what's what did you watch, buddy? Yes, so I. Uh, the movie I watched is French, but it's also a, fr- a crime thriller. So okay, it's it's fun. Okay, uh, it's called Le Voyou. Also, what does that translate to? The Crook. Okay, well that's real creative for a thriller. Yes, I mean Le Voyou is it's not really the the official French translation of the Crook, but it's mm-hmm. a Parisian uh, slang actually. Okay. So the original title is more interesting. Uh, it's directed by Claude Claude Lelouch. Oh, okay. I've heard of him. Yeah, he directed... He's most famous for the movie A Man and a Woman. Hmm. Starring Jean-Louis Trinagnon. Okay. And Jean-Louis Trinagnon also plays the lead in this. Okay. It's from 1970, so I guess it's the... Same year he did The Conformist, or is that the year after? Probably. It's it's around the same time, probably. Yeah, so, like, the year before this, he did Man- Manuit Chez Maud, otherwise known okay. as My Night at, My Night at Maud. Okay, yeah. And he also did the, I think it was Z that he star- starred in the year Oh, before. the Greek film? Yeah, th- that was also 1969, so he... And the year before that, he was in Great Silence. So he was on a wall in this time. Jesus Christ. Do you want to talk about... It's kind of weird, like like he's already an icon, but he should be an even bigger icon, I guess. Yeah. Um, Fun fact, I'm just looking up him right now. Yeah. He was in uh, Three Colors Red. That fits, yeah. Uh, Let's see. He's still uh, making movies because uh, A Man and a Woman had the mm-hmm. sequel. So it was a movie from the 1960s and then it had a sequel in the 1980s. And okay. uh, in 2019, they made another sequel. Um, the Best Years of a Life? Yes, I think it was called that. Yeah. So, uh, Claude Lelouch, like he... I know his name, but he hasn't made that many movies that have become mm-hmm. like international classics, I guess. But he made so many movies that I, that I think was a very successful director in Fran- France. Okay. But like going into the movie, uh, it opens with a musical number. Number? What? Yes. About the guy singing about him being Le Voyou. Mm-hmm. And then it's... But that musical number is actually not uh, not like anything else in the movie. And then uh, we see Trignon arriving with the girl at her apartment. And he asks, asks her for a drink and a meal. 
and mm. they're they kind of seem familiar with each other but he's also like uh pulling out the phone so nobody can call and there's like a ten uh uh tenseness i guess mm-hmm. density yeah and uh then we later learn that uh he's a fugitive from prison he escaped from prison he was uh chased by police and then he ha- hit in a theater where they were playing Le Voyou, that was the musical number from earlier. Oh, okay. And uh, he he sat next to her, and he pretended he was kissing her while holding a gun at her, so the police would not, uh, not be suspicious of him. Like they would just see a couple embracing, and they gotcha. they wouldn't think of him as the criminal. Okay. And then he decides to stay at her apartment for a while. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Almost like he's holding her hostage, in a way. Yeah, but that's... It kind of cuts, like, 15 days later, almost immediately. Oh, so Stockholm Syndrome has taken effect at this yeah, point. Yeah, she, she has fallen in love with him. But we don't gotcha. see the process of that. Huh, People have complained about this movie being complex. Uh, <laughs> or... Or <laughs> uh, confusing. Okay, there you go. I think if you're, if you pay attention, which I know most people don't do anymore when they watch movies because they're on their phone. Uh, <laughs> you say some. I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but like, if you pay attention, it's not more confusing than, let's say, Pulp Fiction, which also tells certain things out of order, because. It tells the beginning of the story, then it goes back in why he went to jail, which takes half of the movie. And then you see the the last 10 minutes of him taking revenge on the person who, who because of who he went to jail. Okay, that makes sense. It's like, you can almost imagine like Tarantino loving the shit out of this movie and then sitting from it and pretending he has never heard of it. Never seen it? Yeah, just like the works of Jim Jarmusch. Yes, something like yeah. that. Okay. Like this feels like a movie that would be a pick on a pure cinema podcast episode. Okay. Yeah. Like, I thought it was. People have also called this boring, and I don't know why because it's so much fun. Like, I, okay. It was yeah. the most fun I've had with a movie all month. Like we're now mm-hmm. the thirteenth. Okay. So for like two weeks, I I haven't watched a movie that was as much fun as this. Okay, that's good to know. I'll have to check it out. Like, it does humor, which, and, mm-hmm. like, again, it shows process. Like, there's nothing more interesting than just seeing a well-organized criminal pull off an incredible heist. That's always incredibly satisfying to watch in a movie. Mm. Yeah, and also, this heist is not like anything you've seen before. Oh, okay. Like, it's, it's quite an original heist. Like, it doesn't involve going into the bank, but still getting money from the bank. I won't say more. Okay. It's a movie I would recommend to anyone. Like, it's on YouTube now. Just Google Le Voyou. And uh, watch it. Have fun. Get back to me on Twitter. Yes. And have... We have hinted that the the second movie you want to talk about tonight. So yes, you want to you want to take it. a guess what it is? I what? 
I said, do you want to take a guess what it is? Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's called the King's Speech. (laughs) (laughs) What's funny is I've seen that movie, and I believe I even own that movie, which is kind of sad. I've seen that movie three times, because it's it's on television a lot, and I'm too lazy to change the channel. Yeah, and it's not it's not terrible, but it's just it's you know fun to see to see Jeffrey Rush have fun. That's most yeah, of it. that's true. And I do like the part where he's he's on the radio and he's just going shit. Yes, that's that's like my favorite part. That's the only thing I remember from it. I kind of think we miss I we kind of missed a, a second Vincent Price with Jeffrey Rush to go to. Insinuated like the movie. That's later true on, like, because um, I believe Jeffrey Rush was in the remake of House on Haunted Hill. Yes, that's true. Yeah, but I feel like he could have been like great in like this kind of like gothic horror movies. Like he would be so perfect. He kind of has that. He, hey, it we up did get him quality. in uh, Pirate of the Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean movies. That's true. Yeah. Could you imagine Vincent Price in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie? I can't imagine Vincent Price in anything, to That's be true. honest. <laughs> Everything would be better if it has Vincent Price in it. The bell scene in Andre Rublev would be better if no, it has no, Vincent no. Price we're in it. No, no, no. We're not going there. No, we're not going to be that that kind of podcast, okay? Yes, yes, we are. Okay, I'll, I'll let it slide. But, but the movie you want to talk about today... Yes. Is Motor Psycho. No, just kidding. Videodrome. Yes, you also watched Motor Psycho. I did. It was a Russ Meyer movie, but we're not going to talk about it. True. So, so Videodrome, Um, which is the Russ Meyer movie for intelligent people. (laughs) Yeah. It has Um, boobies. (laughs) And it has Debbie Harry in it, and I'm a big Blondie fan. Yeah, but she's not blonde in this. No, which is a little uncomfortable. Like, it's weird. It's like it's her twin sister. I thought you would say it's uncomfortable to see her get tortured, but okay. Oh, well, that too, but, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. um, it, it also made me tweet out a joke. New podcast idea. We go through James Woods' filmography and determine if he's actually acting or just playing himself. Yes, that's true. Um... I can just like imagine Cronenberg making a new Videodrome sequel, but just like hiding cameras in James Wood's house, getting math <laughs> on the internet. Yeah, it's just it's just the movie is just James Woods furiously tweeting back at people. Yes, and then while while in the meantime his body is falling apart because of all the hate. There you go. Um, it's a movie. Anyway, so this. This week, I was in the mood to just go, screw it. I'm going to cover a couple of blind spots t- this week. Those are the best weeks. And also, Videodrome was leaving the Criterion channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so we, I watched it. Um, I did not watch it with my speakers on because of what you've always told me about Videodrome. Yeah, yeah, I should probably repeat that for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, whenever I watch Videodrome, I'm afraid my neighbors will think I'm watching porn because there's a lot of moaning and <laughs> and screaming in this movie. Yeah. Um. All jokes aside, um, 
It's not a joke. <laughs> I'm no, no, this. no. I was, I was making a, a segue. Yeah, sorry. No, you're fine. Um, but yeah, no. That's why I didn't watch it with my speakers. Um, Good. I, I gave it. You know, I think I gave it five out of five. It deserves um, five out of five. It does. Um, I think it was wrong to watch it the same week I watched Andre Rublev. To be honest. Um, but it's definitely something that I'm going to have to return to because I'm, I need to watch it and look at it again. Um, I have a complicated relationship with Cronenberg. Okay. Um, please tell. I want my first Cronenberg movie I watched was, um, the one with the porn star in it. Uh, is that Shivers or Rabid? I don't know. I haven't seen either of them. Let me look it up. Um, it's probably Rabbit. Because that I was think earlier. It's, yeah, it's Rabbit. Um, okay. And I gave that like probably like three stars. It's oh, three and a half. It's a really good movie. Um, I didn't know Marilyn Chambers was a porn actress. It's the Jake make... Lenberg seal of approval. I gave it three stars. It's a great movie. Three and a half. Three and a half, all right. Okay. Um, more than you gave Master of the Red Dead. <laughs> no, I think I gave it three and a half. No, you gave it three. Oh, I'm damn, still you're, really, you're really keeping the belt, like... And I you, told you, you why gave I gave it You gave it as much stars as you gave Motorcycle, and it, and it hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> I, Did you I watch Motorcycle with your speakers on? No, I was... That was that one night where I just didn't feel good. Anyway... Okay. Back to Cronenberg. Um, I, and then I, I, I blind, blind bought, um, scanners. Okay. Which everybody talks about being like, let me rephrase that. I always saw the pictures for it and yeah. I blind bought the Criterion. I did not like it at all. You're also starting with like his early movies that aren't like... Not his worst, but also mm -hmm. not widely considered his best. So, I remember I tweeted out a while back, Okay, I've been struggling with Cronenberg, what do I need to watch? Yeah, I remember and, you saying that. Um, I think Marcus Pin of Pinland Empire... Name dropping. I think, yeah, hey, gotta do it sometime. Yeah, that's uh, true. He's told me to watch Dead Ringers. Okay. So, I did, and uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but my dad's a twin. Oh, God. I so, that movie... Your dad has a brother, but I didn't know he had yeah. a twin. And it's the one that he wrote the book with. Okay. Um, so, that movie um, brings a lot of complexities for me as a person, but um, I love that movie. Um What's I his haven't name? seen it, but oh, I heard What's his great. name? Uh, who played um, Alfred in the new Batman Jeremy movies? Irons. Jeremy Irons. I'm not I... referencing to him as Alfred. Yes. Not even Ozymandias, like Alfred. Is Alfred I've never seen Watchmen, movie. and I know you and Landon are both going to be mad at me for that. I haven't watched Watchmen. I just want to make sure that oh, you know that. Oh, well, I haven't read the comic all the way through either. Yeah, I'm mad at you about that, but we don't have to go into that now. 
<laughs> we still have a long um, way to go. Yeah. Um. So I watched. So I get to Videodrome. It's a great movie. It's a good running time too. At an hour twenty-eight, I thought. Mm-hmm. I think if it had been any, it could have afforded to be a little bit longer, but um, probably. Um, you know, it's just visually fascinating. It's another one of those movies where I'm going to need to go back and I feel like I haven't um, observed it enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not observed, analyzed it enough. It's a movie that has more ideas and concepts in it than other movies have or like in just five minutes of Videodome, you have so many ideas and concepts that yep. are just like so much wilder and imaginative than almost most movies have in like a two-hour running mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and you know, like the the part where Debbie Harry's like, "I'm gonna try out for Videodrome," and it's like, "No, no, no, don't do yeah. that, don't do that." And he's also, like, "Don't you, you think of her as still as Blondie?" So. Well, and she enjoyed that kind of stuff, so... Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I need to really... Um, I did, like, my favorite... One of my favorite aspects of it was the... Uh, signal hacking, pirating. Mm-hmm. When they're getting Videodrome, but it, it goes... It keeps... Now, you know, now that I think about it more, it's like, okay, how long was he hallucinating? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, yeah. Because, you know, when he's with Debbie Harry the first time, she, you know, he just, like, what's the word? He, like, zones out. Yeah. Um, and he's in Videodrome again. Yeah. But he has already um, seen it by that time. So. Right. But that was, I think, after the first time he had seen it. Yeah. I don't... had Did they imply, do you remember, if he had seen it before we had been shown that he had seen it? No, because the dude shows it to him in the in the beginning. It's like yeah, I've discovered this new thing. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's right. Um, I've seen this movie a lot. Like it's a movie I could, I kind of have to keep myself in control and not rewatch it every week. So like me with Meet Me in St. Louis. Yeah, but I also have that with Meet Me in St. Louis. <laughs> that's true. Um, I put uh, Meet Me in St. Louis on. Sometimes just to uh, keep my to watch while I'm doing housework, but yeah. I had to stop because I'm just watching the movie. I'm doing my housework. Yeah, yeah. It's I did that one time with um, singing in the rain. Yeah, um, not a good idea. <laughs> no, because you're like you're like oh here's the beginning, and then you're like oh I've just watched it and it said the end. Yeah, it's like. With every scene you go, oh, it's this scene. Yeah, and it's, it's just scene. the entire movie. Scene. Oh, and so that's how you get with Videodrome is like you're like you couldn't just turn it on to do housework. Yeah, because there's no lulls in Videodrome. Like it's just like that's true. Non-stop, it... and it's also like we can talk about how weird and how cerebral it can be, but it's also a really fun movie. Yeah, it is. Um, one aspect that I liked. Um, is, and when he, when the TV first starts, you know, coming alive, Mm. he's got, this is just me as a video game geek, he's got an Atari Mm -hmm. joystick, and I think it's combat? 
which is really interesting because if you think about how people felt about video games later on in the next decade them being too violent yeah um it it would have been interesting to see Cronenberg do a sequel to Videodrome. He kind of did video existence. Oh, okay. He does, he does like a video game world that's kind of like like make remaking Videodrome in a video game world as an action movie. Hmm. I haven't seen that... it, but that's how people have described oh. it to me. It stars Jude Law, I guess. Oh, okay. He's not guy bad, is... but he's yeah, I like Jude Law and certain stuff. Like, he, he can be a competent leading man, mm-hmm. I guess is how I feel about him. Yeah. But he, I, I'm i more won over for Cronenberg now. Um, I did actually order, um, I know I was, I said I was fasting, but uh, I had that gift card. Yeah. And I got that and Andre Rublev, so I'm going to... And I only I'm did it because allow it. I'm only gonna do it because I want to revisit and kind of study Videodrome, and I think sure. it would help me with what I'm working on, especially um, Andre Rublev. Because when I was watching this and the s- story script that I've been working on, I want to be like, okay, because some of Tarkovsky's like slowness, but like I also like the. <sighs> How do you put uh, not in uh, delusion of Videodrome, so to speak? Of uh, yeah, not delusion, insanity. You know, because yeah. you can't when you can't deci- decipher uh, f- reality from fantasy. It's also a movie that was filmed without having an ending in mind. Like they had ideas and they had scenes, but you can tell. Yeah, and it, um. it kind of like it's just so dynamic and spontaneous and just feels like a madman rushing through it in those 82 minutes mm-hmm. not standing still for even a moment and i think it's uh, it elevates yeah. the movie not elevates but it just it makes it better yeah yeah definitely um but yeah video drum um i'm definitely gonna have to watch more cronenberg right now it's like two out of four Maybe three out of four three for me right four. now. Yeah. And you still haven't seen The Fly. Yeah, I... Well, you know. You know why? Because I prefer the original. Yeah, which is the movie we're talking about today. Yay! We have a segue and we do a different planet. It's actually perfect. kind of perfect. Yes. Um, so, um, House of the Usher, which was uh, released in... 1960, the same year as Psycho, and yep. Black Sunday, the first Mario Bava picture. Yes. So a great um, year for horror. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know? And I didn't do a ton of research on his career at the time. Um, well, I can. I'll, I'll go into a few things that I found out. Um, okay. You know. Corman had been making these uh, low-budget, you know, yeah. horror pictures, and um, he wanted to make something better. Yeah, and they. Uh, I I heard Corman talk about this. He, uh, like, American International came to him and they said, "Oh, can you make uh, like two uh, black and white 
B-movies that they can show together to horror movies. And he said, mm-hmm. what if instead of making two 10-day black and white horror movie shoots, I give you one 15-day color movie shoot that you're going to release on its own? This was the first movie that uh, Merton International released without it being a double picture. Oh, wow. So it was like on its own. Yeah. And uh, he he came up with like the Poe adaptation and then he gave the script and they were like, where's the monster? And then he says the house is the monster. Oh, yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, so I will go ahead and just give the synopsis of... Yeah, good idea. Um, of the movie. Um, so it starts, our film starts with our hero, uh, played by Mark Damon, Philip Winthrop. What a, what a, a early American name, Winthrop. Yes. Um, and he's coming to the house and it's out in the middle of nowhere, um, to, uh, to visit his girlfriend um played by well i I would say more they were more lovers to be honest yeah i mean she was his fiance oh well but like she was uh, a phase played her yes and she's pretty pretty lovely i have to say yeah she she gives her she gives the second best performance i didn't of the movie really of course I would, on uh, well, I guess we could, um, anyways, so he comes to the door and he says, I'm here to see, you know, uh, Madeline Usher and the, it's almost like, um, damn, another good side by side, um, the Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he says, you know, oh, she's not to be disturbed, blah, blah, blah. And he says, well, by who? And she says, um, by the, you know, by her brother. Yeah. Uh, he Roderick. ordered not to let anyone yeah, he into ordered. the house. Um, so without, we, we don't really need to keep going detail by detail of the movie. No, um, I, we can I'm just sure kind of get into it. Later, like, every yeah. Day. Um, but he gets in the house and it goes from there and he just discovers I'll just put it blandly he just discovers the madness of this house yes um one thing I will point out is I love the Corman trope of the ride or die um servant yeah yeah he's those serve those kind of servants like who will support the the his is uh monster no matter what yeah um one thing that i wrote down in my notes is that bristol uh what was this is almost as if he's an embodiment of the house itself like a physical yeah. manifestation i think price is more the, the physical manifestation of the house the bristol is more of like working for the house like like he's like the kind of guy who helps uh, Price lean into the madness. Like he's. I guess what I meant is like. Price. It's like the house is a body, in a yeah. sort of sense, and Bristol is one of the organs, the vital organs that keeps it going. 
but not mm-hmm. vital enough in a way. Yeah. And it's like you said that uh, Price is he really does reflect the the condition of the house too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should probably explain that the reason uh, so the Price who plays Roderick in this movie. Oh. Yeah, Roderick Usher. Yeah, thinks he and his entire family is cursed, and uh-huh. they're linked with the house. It's actually he believes the house is what causes the curse. Like this is a thing that uh, shows up in a lot of those Corman Poe movies. Is that yeah? There's a house that was originally built in England and that was brought over to the states. Mm-hmm. And he thinks. Uh, he and his sister are dying. They can't eat uh, spicy food. Like, they only the plainest food they can eat. They can't bear any sound. Like they gruel can't, and... Yeah. yeah they they're incredibly sensitive. Yeah, they're like... Their senses are terribly acute, is what they say. The you know, you ever seen commercials where they... Uh, toilet paper commercials? Where they'll pour water on the toilet paper and they'll compare the toilet papers... Yeah. And there'll be the toilet paper that just like rips to shred. Mm-hmm. That's that's the uh Vincent Price's character. Yeah. Um let me ask you this cuz I read this um interpretation and it kind of informed my second viewing. Okay. Incest. I was thinking incest the first time I watched the movie, but now I almost see it more as like Price thinks of his uh, of her of Madeline as her as his daughter in a sense like their yeah. father daughter relationship. Then there is nothing hinted at a sexual thing. Well, I only ask that because there's that line where he is um, talking to Philip and he says, you know, you know, you want to marry her, obviously, and he says that would include children, of course. And Philip goes, well, yeah, of course. And he just, like, he, like, almost crumbles it's in a like way. God's willing, but I think F- uh, Roderick is just, he's too frail to even think about sex. Like, he's such a, like, the idea of sex or a crying baby or a replantation is just too awful for him. Like, any physical acts or f- is just, like, too much. I don't think he is even it possible of that they are the pro uh, the uh, result of incest. That's quite possible. Yeah, that's what I meant more because, okay. um, and that's why he's like, no, this crap has to end. Yeah, with us, and um, I just want to point this out. Something that was really, really interesting is so after she uh, dies yeah. for the first time, um, they're in the chapel and they're mm-hmm. talking and he goes, Philip says, well, now at least she's at peace. And he goes, no, ushers are never at peace. Yeah. But you look at the set and there's like... Um, passion you know the passion of christ paintings mm-hmm. in the chapel yeah and so he's saying like almost like he's saying like no we don't believe in religion but there's that interesting juxtaposition of like 
here's the passion paintings. You know what I, I mean? Don't, I don't think he means that he doesn't believe in religion. I think he sees himself as... Uh, damned. Cursed, damned, yeah. I, I think he believes he's still praying. I think he... I, I don't think he has given up on God, but I think he believes God has given up on Given him. up on them. Well, I mean, you look at the land and... Yeah. You know... It looks like freaking, you know, a dry ice sale was going on. Yeah, I have something to uh Corbin also mentioned that, like, he wanted the entire movie to take place inside the house. So that the house would form its own reality. But the opening of the movie still has uh, Philip riding through the forest of what's left of it. And they actually filmed that at the, at the forest where there had been a fire recently. Like somewhere in LA, so they were putting the movie in production, and Corman read about the forest fires in the paper, and he said, "Let's film there." That's perfect. Yeah. Um. It's also so too. Dead. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Getting back to him being damned, mm-hmm. you know, that could go back into my theory about the incest. You know. Yeah. They're literal like walking sins. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, yeah, they, they have a line about the sons carrying the sins of the father. Exactly. And there are um, so many generations of sins that it has to end. Like, they can't carry it anymore. Um, I would say um, just one more thing about, like, just the performances. Price, yeah. um, you're talking about how sensitive he is. Uh, and reflecting the condition of the house, he can he conveys that agony. Yeah, of, you know, because we all have that that you know that one sound that gets on his ner- our nerves. Mm-hmm. But like he's like like in pain all the time. You know, it's and al- it also should be said like the blonde hair makes him seem more frail than he than he even is. <laughs> he looks like he should be a punk kid. He looks like a guy who could be, like, he's just one punch away of falling apart. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a great way of describing it. Um, it's also his mannerisms, of course. Yeah. But, like, the blonde hair, not only does it make him frail-looking, it also mm-hmm. makes him look aristocratic. Yeah, I'd it say so. It also gives him a sort of discrin- distinguished air... air. Yeah, and um, like that's the thing. Like he plays a villain in this movie, essentially. But yeah, for the he most has part, so much pedos. But there is also a thing about like the Vincent Price villain in these Corman movies is that even when he's playing a bad guy, he's still like he still has the gentleman era air about him. Like he. Like even he doesn't want Philip in the house, but when Philip says he doesn't gonna le- isn't going to leave, like he invites him in his room, like, well let's come and in. He doesn't then. really like he still has, put up like, a fight. He puts up a fight, but there's still about something like etiquette mm-hmm. that he has to to uh, he still has to maintain a certain sense of decency, even even when he uh, is a dick. <laughs> yeah 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 um one of the notes that i wrote um uh, just the first note that i wrote on my first watching 
yeah. is, you know, he's talking about all the crimes that he's committed, that his family has committed. His forefathers. You know, his forefathers and his, you know, ancestors. And just on a humorous side, I said, Price's crime is being a mood-killing party pooper, but, you know. Or day. <laughs> I I I bet that the real Vincent Price would be a great person at the party. Just telling stories and singing and making food for everyone. Like he would oh, be a great right. person at parties. Yeah. Oh no, he himself would be, but his character yeah. that's what I meant when I wrote down Price. I didn't mean him. Yeah. Um Did Corman say anything about how the studio felt about the picture? They uh the, the producers were kind of hands hands off during the filming. Huh, I okay. trusted him. And then it played really well. Like, it actually made them a lot of money. This is one of the movies that made made sure that international pictures, American international pictures, uh, became a giant enterprise. And it was commercially and critically well-received. So that's why he got them made seven more. So it's what we call, it's like the he who gets slapped of, of American International. Yeah, because they wanted him to, to make, to, uh, Corman to make more of these pro adaptations, but it was Corman himself who said after seven, like, no, I've, I've done everything I can with this material. I need something else. And he went into, uh, he wanted to film on the streets. He wanted to make current pictures and he went on to make the hell's angels movies things. um was this before or after um what's it called he made the movie with shatner oh the intruder is 1962 i think so then it would have been after yeah um would you think that maybe he got that was able to do that movie because of the success of this one? Not just this one, but he made them a lot of money over the years. Yeah, well, and, it was also um, filmed like everything he did was filmed very cheap. Like all these Corman Poe pictures, they yeah, none of them were made for more than two hundred thousand dollars. And you know what? You can really tell. I mean, let's think. Let's break it down here, though. Second, you've got. Four actors, three of them are main, one is a supporting role, really. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe they're all four main actors. You've got your yeah. extras um, in a, a haunting, haunting... Um, uh, is that a dream sequence? Yeah, yeah, it's a dream. And that's breath- yeah. breathtaking. Um and I'd be willing to bet he saved money on that by shooting it with tinted film that, like they would have used in the silent era. That's possible, yeah. Because it's tinted blue, and it looks like something you'd see in a Griffith movie. Yeah, it looks like a silent movie. Uh, I've written something about that uh, in my notes. Wait, uh... Like, this kind of, like, washed-out colors will make it look like a silent movie, but... Like, there's also nothing being said. I mean, there's a soundtrack and music by Les Baxter. Because the music stood out to me. But, like, he has uh, variations on this dream sequence in later Poe pictures. I feel like every time they 
go on for a bit too long. Like they are oh, okay. breathtaking, but just a tad too long. Like yeah, this one's got a just... good. I think it's got a pretty, pretty much almost perfect length for what it's doing. Yeah, I think this is the best one of out of all of them. Um, I do feel like the movie, and I don't did okay. So you know how there's like an interlude at the beginning. Yeah. The music mm-hmm. for like three minutes. Yeah. Um, did Corman say anything about that on the commentary track? Not that I remember. Because, to me, you see something like that in a movie from that era. Yeah. That means they're trying to present it almost as, like, it's a big deal. Like like a Lawrence of Arabia, Gone with the Wind sort mm. of thing. Okay. Do you see what I mean? I see what you mean. I didn't get that impression from it. Oh, I, I'm not saying that that's what it was. But to me, when you have something like that in a movie... Mm-hmm. Uh, from that era, that means they're like saying, like, "Hey, we take this seriously," mm-hmm. yeah. almost in a way, as if they're proud of it. I should say. Yeah. I mean, they should be. It's a really good movie. It is. Oh yeah, definitely. I I think this is uh the this is my second favorite of the Common Poe pictures. Mm-hmm. My favorite being the Master of the Red Dead, which you have Three annihilated. Stars. Three stars uh, out of five. You gave it three <laughs> stars. You gave it as much stars as Motor Psycho. <laughs> which I ne- will never forgive you for, but we'll have to move on with this podcast anyway. <laughs> because no one else will do it with me, so yeah. I'm, I'm stuck with you. No, we'll just it'll just be like a movie where you and I are doing separate podcasts by ourselves. Yeah. It's just like we're recording separate and we'll cut it together. <laughs> to it's like it the worst like breakup ever. It's like we're cutting each other out of photos. Yeah. Like celebs when they they want to uh, honor someone who died, they will they will post a picture of themselves and the dead person somewhere in the corner. Yeah. Um anyway, back to the movie. Um one thing I did read read um uh, I read this somewhere. I don't remember where it was. I think it was. I only read like one article. Mm-hmm. Is that Price did this because he loved the work of Poe? That's true. Roman said that as well. Roman also um, said that Price was his first and only choice. Like I'm sure that if Price declined, he would have still made the movie. Yeah, he would probably try to get Karloff. Yeah, maybe Karloff. Maybe like. Karloff shows up later in these movies, like he shows up in The Raven, Peter Lorre shows up in some of them, yes, Basil Redbone. There are like quite a few like big name actors who, yes, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. show up. Just like heck yeah, the 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 biggest names he could get for barely any money. You know. It's really unfortunate that he couldn't get Bela Lugosi. Yeah, that's true. Bela Lugosi was too busy making Ed Wood pictures. He didn't have time for this crap. <laughs> Actually, he might have... When did he die? I'm not sure. Like, he might have already been dead. Yeah, he might have been dead that person. Because he did, he did hella morphine. Oh, he was gone for like four years at this point yeah i'm sure like if corman had a chance he would have 
of uh, bleeded him dry whenever he could. Wow, whenever what he a could good be. metaphor for Drac for a guy who played Dracula. That's true. That's true. I'm I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a metaphor of the show. Right there. I'm I'm glad you're you're saying that yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, what's interesting, those first three Corman Poe prize pictures open the same way. It's uh, a stranger arriving at a castle where Vincent Price lives and throughout the movie, Price is haunted by the memory or sometimes the presence of a past loved one. Those, it, that's how House of Usher goes that's how uh the pit and the pendulum goes and the first segment of tales of terror which is an anthology also goes that way and and the last one the tomb of lagia is actually kind of a, a variation on that concept okay um are you curious to hear how it differs from the short story itself yes enlighten okay. me you're, you're I, our English major of this podcast. Oh, boy. I don't know <laughs> if I'm ready for that kind of responsibility. Sorry. Um, you, did, you did study to become an English major. That is true. I have read The Great Gatsby. Um, yes. Um, you and everyone else who had to read it in high school, but so go on. Um, it's, it's less than 100 pages. Don't be too proud of yourself. <laughs> That'd be like if I bragged about reading of Mice and Men. Yeah, or bragging about reading uh, the <laughs> pamphlets. It was an important pamphlet, damn it. It has, it has big words in it at all. I had to Google. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, um, so the difference between the movie and um, the short story and... It's changed for the better in the movie, I think. Mm -hmm. um, there's an unnamed narrator who yeah. is summoned to the house to okay. because of illness of Madeline, I believe. Yeah. And um, so he's drawn there. He's okay. not. He's it's summoned, not... basically. Okay, yeah. so. And um, uh. What's interesting is there's a detail in the short story um, that I really liked. I don't know if it was captured. I can't really remember if it was captured in the film. But um, there is, like, at one point, a book within a book. Yeah. He reads him a novel called The Mad Trist, mm -hmm. which is involving a knight who breaks into a hermit's dwelling and attempt to an an escape uh, a storm. Yeah. Only find to pa find a palace of gold guarded by a dragon. Okay. He um. They uh, would have not fitted the Gorman budget. No, no, no. Especially a dragon with yeah. gold. Um, it would have just been Long Chain Junior, but wearing a snake skin. <laughs> I would have watched it either way. That's the problem. Yeah, I would do. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh. And as they're reading, as he's reading the story, um, the house starts to make noise, and it's almost like to be a, because uh, the knight kills the dragon, yeah, um, 
it's almost like the dragon basically represents Madeline. Okay. Um, because uh, he's reading it, and as the sh- shrieking is described, a shriek is heard within the house. Okay, so like the dream sequence. Yeah, basically. So that was probably his version of that mm-hmm. part. Um. What, but what's interesting is in the story he doesn't deny uh, that she's uh, still alive. He he yeah. says, in and says and it says Roderick becomes increasingly hysterical, and eventually exclaims that these sounds are being made by his sister, who is in fact and alive when she was entombed. Um, this is the detail that I really like. It says mm-hmm. the same same sequence really. The bedroom door is then blown open to reveal Madeline standing there. She falls on her brother, and yeah. both land on the floor as corpses. I just think that's a really interesting detail. Yeah. I really love, like, the final of this movie. Like, it's almost a Bava-esque mm. final. Mm. Yeah, But, like, definitely. this was shot, like, I, I already said before, Bava made his... Uh, debut feature this year with Black Sunday, but he hadn't made a color movie by this time. So it's almost like Bava went to see this and that, that like, interesting. I can do that better. I can improve on that. I hate hate when you watch a movie and you feel that way. At least I I do. I've been making... I mean, we both made fun of uh, the cheapness of this movie, but I just want to say, like, how... Chroma is really able to wring the most atmosphere out of cheap sets and mm-hmm. math paintings yes. as you possibly could. Like, yeah, I think later on in this cycle he would, uh, would get, he would reach his full potential later on with how he would uh, use his sets and how the most he can do with it. But mm-hmm. it also needs to be said like this is one of the best written ones. Yeah, I would say so, especially on, like, a script level. Even the dialogue's yeah. really good. Um, yeah, it, it's, it fits into, like, a genre of horror that I like to call r- lyrical horror. Yes, definitely. That's It's, very it's almost poetic. like something, uh, yeah, like a poem. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, which makes sense. But, like, the only one that doesn't have that lyrical sensibilities is uh, The Haunted Palace. Which is yeah. a Poe movie, but, you know... Is Which, a cor- ironically is a enough... Lovecraft's is... adaptation, and Lovecraft, yeah. how genius and racist he might have been, like, he was also... Who was it again? He was, he was, uh, Lovecraft, who was a genius and a racist, oh, yeah. but also not stylistically yeah. a great writer. Like Okay. Like, um, yeah. What's interesting is in the short story, mm-hmm. um, Roderick sings the Haunted Palace poem. Oh, wow. Um, and, um, yeah. And interestingly enough, um, oh, uh, the, the other thing that's interesting is, um, and this kind of, I mean, if you want to look at the source material versus the movie, this could be explained. I don't know why. It says, fearing that her body will be exhumed for medical study, Roderick insists that she be entombed for two weeks and the family tomb located in the house before being permanently buried. Kind of, in my eyes, 
um, brings back the incest theory. Okay. That's what I was going to say, but, mm. um, which would make sense because, you know, like, Poe, like, was in love with his cousin, so. That's oh, true. Oh, does it mention in the, the movie that they're twins? No, which would be weird because Price is so much older than her. Yeah. <laughs> like, no one would Actually, buy that. I would, just because of how much suffering he's done. Yeah, but she would have aged the two as well, like. That's true. Well... It's impl- I don't... The one thing that bothers me about this movie... Yeah? Why oh. did she go to Boston? I don't... Like, there are many reasons why she could have gone to Boston. Like, she might have convinced them at the time that it was a good idea, but it's clearly... I think she, they both became worse by the time she came back. Or as if her being away for so long... Um you know, um, mm. made him, like, die, like, basically start dying. And that's why he wanted her to die as well. Yes. Yeah. He like wanted her to go through. You could have, you could see this movie as, like, not supernatural at all. Yeah. Like, you could almost think, like, it's really just Bryce inside his head. Mm-hmm. And everything that happens, it's really just just a crack in the wall, and you should have just repaired it. Damn, there's really just That's something deep. wrong with the soil. And but I like to. I'm a romantic, so I like to believe they are cursed. Yeah, I do too. It's it but just that's a very interesting thing about you know talking about the soil being cursed or not being fertile or you know the crack in the wall. It's, it's it in a way. It's all comes down to genetics, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, and just like the way the the environment is, like the environments go bad sometimes. Like, it, mm-hmm. yeah. But that um, also reminded me: Have you ever seen the movie Crimson Peach? Two thousand fifteen, Guillermo del the Toro. The del Toro? Movie. No, I haven't. The second half of that movie takes place in a. A lonesome castle mm-hmm. where the soil, the surroundings have dried up and are completely dead. Nothing can grow there. Yeah. It's about a brother and a sister in that castle who are the last of their family and they believe their family is cursed. Hmm. And there's a sickness running through their family. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm sure. This is the kind of movie that Guillermo del Toro has seen a hundred times. Oh, yeah. He he loves this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's um, like a movie has like three posters of it hanging in his bathroom. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't know Have for ever... sure, but it just feels like it. I'm sure he has yeah. like a little altar for price made somewhere. Yeah. Lavish Have you ever seen... Mansion. Like, uh, I watched a video one time of like what would be described as his man cave but except yeah. it's just like like he was like oh man I love the ho- the movie from House of Usher and like replicated yeah. that house and it's just filled with a bunch of horror stuff okay and uh, I'll have to find it and send it to you but um it's more like that's... a mansion of a mansion of yeah. man <laughs> a man um, mansion a man and is there in the 
Um, Crimson Peak, is there, like, somebody that comes to visit them? Yeah, it's, uh, it's the, it's the, uh, how does she, how she called, uh, the, the girl who played Alice in the 2010 movie. Wasikowska, Mia Wasikowska? Well, she, she arrives and she's supposed to marry the brother, or she's married to the brother. Oh, so it's pretty much like a remake. Yeah, but it's... They both have a different feel, but you... I'm sure this was an inspiration for, mm-hmm. for Del Toro. Okay. Um, he probably has admitted it somewhere in an interview, but we just I'm didn't sure. look it up. Like, yeah. he's pretty open about those things. Yeah. It's pretty nice when you're open about your... Um, uh, your Influences. Uh, yeah, don't just pretend certain people don't exist. Yeah. I'm, I like the Tarantino bashing we've been doing this episode, even when it's so subtle as now. It's, uh, it's a, uh, it's a good, it's, it's cathartic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, there's also one thing I wanted to say, because you, uh, were telling, like, how narrator is like summoned to the house and it's and he isn't visible i guess the who the narrator what narrator? the, the short story opens with the narrator being summoned oh. to the house yeah well i find it interesting like how then they cast it mark damon yeah who is who just plays like the most boring straight man you could imagine. Like he's really the observer. Like he's yeah. the the plain, honest, unremarkable man who is uh is uh lurking by the insanity and eventually becomes the insanity as well. So what I'm hearing is he's the Kent Smith of the movie. Yes, he's uh, All right. He's, he's a little bit of a better actor, I think. A little bit more handsome. Yeah. Like he later he he went to Italy. Like a couple of oh. years after this movie, he went to Italy and he became a he learned Italian and became a giant Western star. Corman had only nice things to say about him. Corman liked everyone in this cast, by the way. Uh, I gotta ask you though too, because I've never listened to one. How great is a Roger Corman uh, commentary track? Oh, great! Like he, just like just great insights every ten minutes. Not, not even every ten minutes. Every minute he's saying something cool. It's just like very relatable and relaxed and funny. Oh, he w- he was in Black Sabbath. Mark oh, Damon. That's yeah. So another Mario Bava connection. Yep. Um, worked with Pil. Pasolini, Corbucci, um, John Claude Van Damme. Damn. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> even intended, but... <laughs> I know, but it works. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's... He was in two sequels to the Universal Soldier movies. I guess he's still kicking. Yeah, he's still kicking. Yeah, he's still alive. I, I looked him up. Like we should mention, that the movie is written by Richard Madison, who wrote the yes. novel that is Perfect. I Am Legend. Yep. Hey. He wrote that. He wrote... Uh, he he was a quite a popular author yeah, he of was. the time. Like, 
the thing about like the Corman commentary is that Corman was very nice to anyone like who worked on this picture, the crew, the actors, the writers. He he enjoyed working with all of them and was happy to have a lot of them go on to do bigger things. Right. Um, but yeah, he uh, he did um, the Incredible Shrinking Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he did he did a lot um, of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he and Robert Block. Is an icon. Um, huh? Is an icon. Oh, definitely. Um, heavily. I mean, like he was a huge influence on Stephen King. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Romero loved him. They, um, uh, he, they, um, ironically enough, uh, I think wasn't, um, Vincent Price in the first I Am Legend adaptation? Yes, uh, The Last Man on Earth. I watched that earlier this year. It's not great. It's still fun because it has price. Every every movie yeah. is better because it has price. Yeah. Um, I feel like, could you imagine how better Star Wars would have been if Vincent Price was, um, somebody? But, but at least that Peter Cushing. No, because that's too small. That's true. Um, he could have brought the even more of a complexity to Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah, you, that's what you want Vincent Price to do, like, not speech and not see his face. <laughs> no, let's just, in the 50s we would just scar him. He wouldn't need to be in a mask. That's true. Um, I mean, he was alive by the time Star Wars was made, like... Yeah. <laughs> we should um, forget that. That's true. Um, but I guess the Romero uh, said that... The creatures from Last Man on Earth were an inspiration for the ghouls that he envisioned for Night of the Living Dead. So, you know, Richard yeah. Matheson, like you said, is an icon. Um, he has he's influenced kind of in... more than people realize. Oh, definitely. He's in that sort of... I mean, Spielberg's recognized him, Edgar Wright, Richard Kelly. Um, you know, so... Mm. You know, he wrote... Episodes of the Twilight Zone. Um, oh, he wrote your favorite Steven Spielberg movie, Duel. He wrote Duel. Yeah, or it's based off of his short story. Perfect. Yeah, and you gotta like the guy. <laughs> uh, he wrote one of. Have you seen many uh, Twilight Zone episodes? No, I've never watched the Twilight Zone. Oh man, there's a great episode called Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. Mm-hmm. I've heard about it. And he wrote it, and it stars William Shatner. Okay. And that's a good one, too. Um, I, I like that we have mentioned William Shatner twice today. Yeah, I've, that's I true. I even watched the movie today, or it was, or was a movie playing on TV that starred him. It was a movie that's he, that uh, was like a body cop movie between uh, Eddie Murphy and Robert De Niro, <laughs> and he was oh. in it. Um, it wasn't great. Uh, we probably shouldn't waste time on that. No, I know, but just in case somebody's like, "Oh man, like I really want to watch that now," I'm gonna find it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably '90s from the '90s, right? 
Yeah. Uh, um, early I 2000s. Know that... Just yeah. Just write down Eddie Murphy, Robert De Niro. That's probably better. I'm sure they haven't worked together that much. No. That'd be funny like, if it was just like... We, we kind of forgot like the, the camera of Eddie Murphy in the Godfather Part 2 where he just like a street kid who's yelling at Robert De Niro when he walks by. <laughs> yeah, it was called Showtime. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Uh, it wasn't great. Yeah, I could tell. That was towards the, like the transition period from like... Like... Jackie Brown and Ronan to analyze this and yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, we, don't, we don't have to go into Robert De Niro. No, too we're much. not going to. Robert De Niro not as good as Vincent Price. No, Vincent Price is like, um, great man. Vincent Price is like out of this world. Is is a Lovecraftian monster unto itself. Is a foreign yes. entity. Mm-hmm. There's one thing I wrote down in my notes that is this movie is a chamber piece, but the chamber is the most morbid environment you could ever imagine that corrupts the characters. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. It is super soup. This is the most morbid. I mean, um, yeah, no, it's, um, and it's just so drab. I mean, that chapel. I keep thinking about that chapel for some reason. Um,. Mm. And it's just so, so, and you know, churches and even chapels are supposed to be bright, full of light. And this yeah. is like, it's already a There is no light in this house or no. in this environment. And what's even funny is, uh, uh, remember when she says, where he says, I'm going to let some light in. And he opens the windows and it's like gloomy and all dark. Yeah. I like that. Um. I also feel because you uh, were were bringing up that tweet about that when people talk about great cinematography, they usually mean great art direction. Like the art director yeah. on this movie was Danny Heller. I feel like we okay. should give him a shout out. Also, the the insane paintings. Yeah, I was gonna talk about that, that too. Gorman milks everything out of that he could. Like he he said he broke his head about. How many times he could could film the paintings and make them look mm-hmm. make it different? He tried yeah. everything, and uh, like those were made by Bert Schoenberg or Schoenberg, because okay. uh, it's written Schoenberg in uh, the credits, but the internet says it's called Schoenberg. Uh, okay, yeah, no, those were fabulously grotesque, like, yeah. like, um. And honestly, it's like the whole thing um, could survive and say that it wasn't made in the 60s, but the mm. color palette of those paintings yeah. um, definitely like nail it down to the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, something I did want to mention, too, is... They're very um, lush, the colors. Lush, um, almost like an acid trip on, on canvas. Yes. Um mm-hmm uh, so when this was announced our a lot of other Poe projects were uh, announced around the same time 
when this came out. Okay. And another thing, too, is I'm reading here is when this, um, when they said that they were going to do this, the market for this kind of like a film was in decline, and they decided, so I bet it was originally going to be in black and white, but they decided to gamble on making a larger budgeted color film. Yeah, Corbin asks for larger budgets, and then he would say, like, you could use it, like, you can release it on its own, you don't have to release it as a double bill. Yeah, oh, and, um, one thing that I wanted to say, too, is, you know, uh, I, uh, definitely, he, he just knows how to stretch the dollar, so to speak. Mm, yeah. Um... Like, most filmmakers couldn't do what Corman does Mm-mm. on $300,000, no. even if they shot digitally. No, definitely not. But he also, like, he mentions this in the commentary, like, he really surrounded himself with the best people he could for that money. Like, his crew deserves just as much of the credit as he does. Yeah. And I would, because I was, when I was watching it the second time, um, I was thinking, like, you know, it takes a lot to just shoot, you know, because I was kind of calculating how many, like, crew there were, and, um, you know, yeah, acting people, and it, it, you know, 15 days is how long it took to film this. Yes. So it, um, it definitely, he definitely, um, uh, knew how to bring, and I'm wondering, I don't know if he said in the, uh, commentary, um, if it came in under budget. I mean, definitely didn't went over budget. Yeah. Um, I could see Corman being the type of guy that would be able to bring it into budget, like under budget. Yeah, I'm sure he did it a couple of times. I mean, I guess if he had budget left, he would just use it in another movie. Okay. Like, I think also the thing uh, Corman said on the end of the commentary is... That people have always said like he was a one-take kind of guy, but he said on these movies he did two, three, or four takes at least. Yeah. Which is still mighty fast. He was no one-shot William Bodine. Yeah, I have no idea who William Bodine is. Bodine was a silent film director who lost all of his money in the stock market crash. Mm-hmm. And... And the sound era just made cheapy after cheapy. Um, and he was known for doing one shot, one take. Yeah. Just to get the the picture done so he could do another one and make money. Um, yeah. One thing I will say is that I really liked at the end with the end credits, what they did mm-hmm. with the um, pictures mm-hmm. yeah. of the people in the movie. Um, it reminded me of what they would do in early 30s Warner Brothers openings. Yeah. Um, talked about that, like he, he deliberately didn't have or, or barely have any 
credits in the opening because he just wanted to start the movie and get yeah. the picture going and then he lingered on the credits for longer and made them more lavish yeah on the in end. the end to um to make up for which it. is which is smart because he would want the audience to stay yeah because you know and you would like if that if yeah. those credits played in a the theater i would be sitting there until the theater said i couldn't stay there forever well and what's funny is back then they would just replay the movie yes i, I would definitely uh watch the repeats yeah um uh th- th- i'll just mention a few things that i really liked um too is mm. um towards the end where when um philip is looking for the you know for the way to the tomb mm-hmm. where she's buried yeah uh, bristol says this house is honeycombed with passages I'm that's a like, great oh sentence. that's just a great line that's, you know that, what i mean just this entire movie has just like this turn of phrases that i love like, yeah i could i don't yeah. i don't remember what this line was from but there was a line where it says do not dilute of yourself and i was like damn that's yeah. a good line um but yeah i i think you and i um definitely would recommend this one i i think it's a movie that you should watch if you like horror you like price you like independent cinema it's i think it's essential if you are interested just in the history of cinema yeah definitely and it's just Um, a good time like it's not that's only interesting for historic value. It's just really fun. Like, I watched it twice yesterday. Yeah. I could, watch, could have watched it a third time. Definitely. It's that kind of a movie. Um. Do you have any... This is going to be my thing now. Do you yeah. have any ideal pairings outside of the cycle that you would put mm. this movie with? Because I have one, but I want to see if you have something. I think this would play well with an Osperkins movie. Okay. Osperkins also has this lyrical kind of horror, but like, I think you should pair this with something that's similar, but not too similar. So taking a jump from like 60 years and watching Grittle and Hansel or something would... Okay. Would have, like they would play nicely together. So this is a double feature that I thought would actually happen, but yeah. much, much later... Um, you play this mm-hmm. and the baby from the seventies. Interesting. I haven't seen the baby. Explain what you mean. Just the um, the angle of manipulation of family mm-hmm. over well-being. Yeah, and I just think it would be a really fun double feature because you get Vincent Price, and then you get Ruth Roman. Mm-hmm. And um, what if you play this with the Omen? Oh, that'd be an interesting one. I actually don't really like the Omen a lot, but... Uh, um, Another one that would work just in the same Corman uh, school is you show this first, and then on the B side is a bucket of blood. Yes, I think, yeah. Yeah, it would be nice to watch this with the, like, a more regular Corman movie that was sh- yeah. shot in black and white and on the... Uh, lower budget. Definitely. Um, um, there was one that I had that was like a fancy double feature for this. 
Um, you should oh. write these things down. <laughs> yeah, I should. Um, you could play um, this and then um, The Innocence. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, or the hunting. Uh, yep, that's another good one too. Um, but yeah, man. Hey, this was this was fun. Um, it was, yeah. Surprisingly, we do have technical thoughts. difficulties and all. Yeah. Um, my personality and all. <laughs> yeah, your 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 European doctor personality and all. Yeah, European dirtbag doctor. <laughs> Um, I I love that we were referencing things we said before we started the podcast that we didn't even record. Yeah, but people will be like, "Oh, what's this story about European dirtbag doctors?" But yeah, no, this is fun. Um, it was, yeah. Uh, might even do it again. Yeah, we might do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I was I'm thinking about replacing you with someone else, but I guess I'll stick with you then. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Um, we'll do the regular podcast thing. Where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter as Monsieur Marlowe mm. because I'm Belgian and a douchebag. So... <laughs> It's really because I wanted Mr. Marlowe, but Mr. Marlowe was already taken, so that's how I make it French. Okay. And uh, but I mean, if you just Google Leonard Robart, you can probably find me anywhere because no one else is called that. <laughs> I don't know, man. There's another Jake Lindbergh out there, and he lives like 30 miles away. He's so. your death ringers. Oh boy, I hope not. Well, he does like sports. <laughs> okay, so he's your enemy, like or like double life. No enemy, the Dennis Villeneuve movie, or oh yeah, double guy. Um, um, well, you guys can find me at Spade Archer Jake on Twitter. Um, also, uh, you know, I'm working on stuff for the blog, See for Cinema, my blog. Um, you can follow that account at. C underscore, uh, C underscore for cinema, um, and that's C, as in the letter C, underscore for cinema. Um, I've got some good stuff coming up for the new year. Um, definitely gonna be, and this will probably be out in the new year. So yeah, we're, yeah, we're um, gonna sit on this for a while. Yeah, Making sure we don't change our minds. Maybe we cut Jake out of the podcast. Yeah, and it's just Leonard sounding like a lunatic talking about Poe. Yes, and we, we just have clips of Vincent Price responding. responding. <laughs> um, but, uh... How do you want to close this, buddy? I, uh... Perfect. Yes, even now I hear her. Yes, alive, deranged, infuriate. Can you not hear her voice? Where? In the name of God, where? Below, twisting, turning, scattering.
scratching at the lid with bloody fingernails, staring, screaming, wild with fury, the strength of madness in her. Can you not hear her voice? She calls my name. Roderick. Roderick. A talking picture. Goodbye.